It's good to be with you this morning. I appreciate being able to worship together. And uh, even though we're in these uh, kind of times right now where we're online and uh, uh, all in our homes, uh, our hearts are still knit together through the Lord Jesus Christ. So it is good to be here at South Bay Presbyterian Church this morning and to look at God's word together as we uh, continue to pursue him and seek him uh, with all of our hearts. Um, you know, sometimes adversity, like the adversity that we're in right now, can bring out the best in us, but at the same time, it can also bring out the worst in us. Um, difficult times uh, can cause us to want to take shortcuts and things that we do to get what we want, um, ignore what is right in order to accomplish something, or just have an attitude of selfishness, that really things are all just about me. Uh, we've seen it around us in these difficult times um, with such things as even fights over toilet paper or pasta boxes, as we've seen uh, not too long ago in the news. Uh, the, the desired outcome then justifies any of the means that are used to get to that whatever we are after. Um, however, the benefits are often short-lived and they can even backfire. Uh, over time. On the other hand, integrity speaks loudly. It speaks loudly at all times and especially in seasons of adversity. Um, it continues to have an influence even long after um, our words are no longer heard. And it honors the Lord. Um, it honors God's when his saints preserve their integrity. Well, this morning, we're gonna look at a passage in 1 Thessalonians, and we're gonna look at, at the Apostle Paul and his ministry team that went into Thessalonica at that time, and take a look at how they practiced integrity. Uh, particularly, we wanna see four practices of integrity that the team used as they came in and they worked with this, this uh, group of people and planted this church, and then saw the fruit of their labor after that. So we'll be taking a look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 1 through 12, and we'll see how integrity is not only a foundational quality of our relationship with Jesus, which it very much is, but how it is also a quality of the ministry that God has called each of us into. Uh, it undergirds the words that we say it, it, it gives credibility to the things that we talk about. Uh, so integrity has a lasting impact and will likely be remembered long after we're gone and long after our words fade away. Uh, typically, people remember us for our character. And uh, integrity has that power to undergird, to strengthen the things that we say as we're uh, ministering for Jesus, as we're being his witnesses, as we're living our lives out for Christ. So let's look at that this morning. And I'd like to read for you from 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, and I'll begin in verse 1 and read through verse 12, and then we'll take a look at this passage more closely. Chapter 2, verse 1. For you yourselves know, brethren, that our coming to you was not in vain. But after we had already suffered and been mistreated in Philippi, as you know, we had the boldness in our God to speak to you the gospel of God amid much opposition. 
For our exhortation does not come from error or impurity, but by way or by way of deceit. But just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak, not as pleasing men, but God who examines our hearts. For we never came with flattering speech, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed. God is witness. Nor did we seek glory from men, either from you or from others, even though as apostles of Christ, we might have asserted our authority. But we proved to be gentle among you, as a nursing mother tenderly cares for her own children. Having so fond an affection for you, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives, because you have become very dear to us. For you we call, brethren, our labor and hardship, and working night and day, so as not to be a burden to any of you, we proclaim to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses, and so is God, how devoutly and uprightly and blamelessly we behave toward you believers. Just as you know how we were exhorting and encouraging and imploring each of you as a father would his own children, so that you would walk in a manner worthy of the God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. Well, as we get into this passage, we need to take a little bit a look at the background, and that will give us a context for where this passage is going and what Paul is wanting to say through this. So starting off in verse 1, uh, Paul writes here, For you yourselves know, brethren, that our coming to you was not in vain. And what's interesting about this is it seems like this verse is out of place. You would almost expect Paul then to continue speaking about the Thessalonians, what was going on with them, uh, how they were doing in their lives, but he doesn't do that. Right after he says this, he goes on to talk about what they did in their ministry. Now, to understand this, we want to take a little look at the background. And the book of Acts in chapter 17 describes what happened when Paul and the team came into Thessalonica. And you may remember, they had been in Philippi, they were mistreated there, they were persecuted, imprisoned, beaten, and then they wanted to run them out of town, basically. But eventually, Paul and the team left Philippi, they had planted a church there, they left Philippi and they were heading west, and they came to the city of Thessalonica. And Paul started to preach in the synagogue, which was his custom, and he had a series of messages that he had given in, in that period of time. And Acts chapter 17, verse 4, picks up what happened as people were responding to his message. And let me read that for you. It says, And some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, and along with a large number of the God-fearing Greeks and a number of the leading women. But the Jews, becoming jealous and taking along some wicked men from the marketplace, formed a mob and set the city in an uproar. And attacking the house of Jason, they were seeking to bring them out to the people. Now notice what happened here. Right after the Jew and Paul had spoken, the Jews became jealous and then they started to attack physically. And not only did they physically attack, but it's also apparent from this letter that they were trying to attack Paul's credibility after Paul and Silas left Thessalonica. And, and their intention was to discredit them so that they could discredit the Thessalonians' faith. Pastor John Piper says it this way. He says about this situation, he says, 
The real issue is that the discrediting of Paul and his message would also discredit the authenticity of the Thessalonians' faith. And so this is what Paul is pointing out to them, and this is the point he's making in verse 1. It did not discredit their faith. It did not discredit what Paul and the missionary team had done as they had come into Thessalonica. In fact, the people's faith was stronger, and the church that was planted was persevering. So this was a success. And then Paul's going to go on and explain to them some of the methods that they used, but highlighting all of this, the integrity that they had as they were serving in that situation. And this morning, we want to look at four points, four practices of integrity that this missionary team did and that are applicable to our own lives as we are seeking to be a witness for Jesus Christ, as we're seeking to live for him, and especially in difficult times of adversity. This was a difficult time for Paul and for the missionary team, and we're living in difficult times today. And, and our integrity, however, will have a lasting impact as we serve the Lord, as we live out our lives in ways that people will see our character and, and how we are seeking to honor God through the things that we say and we do. So let's look at these four points here. The first one is that we need to be convinced of our purpose. Be convinced of your purpose. Verse two says this, it says, after we had already suffered and been mistreated in Philippi, as you know, we had the boldness in our God to speak to you the gospel of God in much opposition. Now, purpose strengthens endurance. Look at the situation that they had. They go into Philippi. They had the Macedonian call when they were back in Asia Minor. They go up into Philippi, and they meet with Lydia, and they plant the church, but things go awry, and uh, the town turns against them. They are persecuted. They're beaten. They're put in prison, and it, it might be that they were thinking, well, we're done with this. You know, this was not really the best move that we made and we didn't understand what the Lord wanted. I mean, these people are not interested, so we're, we're not gonna continue on. But they had a clear sense of their purpose. And so that kept them going on. It gave them endurance and enabled them to continue on with what God had called them to do. And in our own lives, as we face challenges that come our way, especially in difficult times, Having a clear sense of our purpose and what God has called each one of us to do helps us to have that resolve that will continue to, to give us energy and strength to move, to move forward. Um, Paul had said to Timothy that during difficult times, he said, but you, you continue in the things that you have learned and become convinced of. And so as we are facing difficulties, understanding our purpose, understanding that God has called each of us to be, to live out our Christian life, to, to be an example of that to those around us. And, and in times like this, when we're, we're more confined at home, or at least we have been, and we're starting to branch out, uh, those are opportunities that God has given us to be that witness among our family, among those who we're closest to. Um, and to continue on with the endurance, even though we face difficulties along the way, to keep going. Um, so purpose strengthens endurance. Purpose also enables 
boldness to take place. If you notice what he says in verse two, he says, we have the boldness in our God to speak to you the gospel of God amidst much opposition. Now notice here that the boldness was not in themselves. It wasn't something that they mustered up in themselves. It was something that was in God. God had empowered them to be bold. Uh, a quote here that I think is so appropriate for this, it says, boldness is not reckless and it is not obnoxious. It is having the confidence or courage to move beyond our fears to do or say something that we know is right. Oftentimes we think of boldness and we think of somebody who's loud and somebody who's pushy and, and boisterous, and that's not necessarily boldness. Boldness is being able to say the right thing even though it's not gonna be received well or even though that there's gonna be, we understand there's gonna be opposition at that time. Boldness is, <clears throat> is still pushing beyond our fears and having the courage to say the right thing at the right time. So boldness, purpose enables boldness. So the first point there, be convinced of your purpose. Understand that God has called each of us, wherever we may be, in whatever situation we are, to continue to live out our faith for Jesus Christ. Even though we're in a difficult time right now with all that's going on, God's program hasn't stopped. He's still calling us. He has still given us a purpose, and he's going to enable us to do that even to the end of the age. So be convinced of your purpose. The second thing, seek to be approved by God. Seek to be approved by God. Verses three and four explain to us how Paul and the missionaries were approved in their message, and they were approved in their character. Now, first, they were approved in their message. Uh, verse 3 says, For our exhortation does not come from error or impurity or way of deceit. They understood, understood God's word. They understood the message. They had a good grasp of what God wanted them to say. And this speaks to us about being approved by God because approval in our message, in the things that we understand about God, means that we are students of the Bible. We spend time in God's word, memorizing. You know, memorization is kind of an old thing maybe anymore because everybody's got their phone and they can just look. But, but memorization causes us to, to think, to think again and again uh, through, through a passage. And maybe we won't have our phone with us or maybe God wants to use that passage in our life at some time and he can bring it up in our minds. So some of those things that help us to get the word into our hearts Help us to become students of the word through Bible studies, through, through just reading through the Bible, whatever we can to get the Bible into us. And as 2 Timothy tells us, we want to be diligent to be approved by God as workmen who are rightly dividing the word of truth, who are not ashamed, but we handle the word of truth accurately in our lives. And that doesn't just apply for pastors or Sunday school teachers or small group leaders, Bible study leaders. It, it applies to all of us that God desires for us to be good students in his word. So we're approved in our message, but we're also approved in our character as well. And if you notice in verse four, it says, just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. This is really a trust. They were trustworthy. 
they had the character. And we understand what that means. Well, there is a trust there. Uh, we can give a, an assignment or we can give something to somebody to do and we know that they're going to carry it out because we trust them. You know, we don't have to do background checks. We don't have to go through all these different steps. We just know that they're going to take care of what it is that they need to do. Have you ever given somebody a task that they need to go do and then you, you know that it's going to happen? You know that you can trust them. I have a friend who uh, needs, needed to get into our house to take care of some things. And uh, he, had a, he had a key, had ability to get in, and we trust him. We don't have any problem. We don't say, oh, we have to be there for you to, to, uh, to come in. I just trust him because there's a trust built there. And uh, that enables then us as trustworthy servants to then carry on what God has for us. So they were, they were trustworthy, but they were also faithful. They were faithful to teach. They were faithful with the word of God. So these men were faithful, and they were faithful in carrying out what God had for them. Second Timothy tells us, the things you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, these entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Faithfulness is, is a character quality. It's carrying out what God has called us to do and being the people that God has called us to do. Being somebody of your word. In other words, you can, you can just tell somebody they need to do it and you know that they're going to carry it out. You know that it's going to be done. And, and these, these servants, these missionaries did that when they went into Thessalonica. And that speaks to us because it's an approval by God in our character. Our character is approved by God because we are faithful. And one of the ways that we can remain faithful along the way is to keep a God consciousness as we go throughout our day. Remembering that God sees us, that God is looking in our heart, that he's, he knows what's going on. If we look at the end of verse 4, it says that they were not there to please men. They were not trying to gain approval by men. They were trying to please God, and they knew that God examined their hearts. Now, it wasn't something that they did just to stay out of trouble, going, oh, God's watching me, so I better be careful with what I'm doing. Or, you know, he's like, he's like a, a hound that's over me constantly, uh, watching every, my every move. Rather, it was in their hearts that they wanted to be faithful. It was a quality that was within them that they had because God was working in their lives. And this is so important for us as we seek God's approval. We do that because we desire Him. We desire to be like Him. We desire to be changed and to be transformed into the image of our Lord Jesus Christ. So we seek the approval of God. And, and that helps us then. It undergirds our message. It undergirds our life because we're constantly conscious of God. And so as we go through our day, as we think about that, we need to stay in connection with God. We often do that through prayer, through meditation on the word, through fellowship with one another. It keeps our minds. We as people are easily distracted. There's so much information that comes at us these days, it's easy to forget. But I encourage you and myself to take time throughout your day to spend that time thinking about the Lord and being aware. And, and as an old book was written, practicing the presence of God that is in our, in our lives. 
So that's the second practice. Seek to be approved by God. The third part of integrity that we'll look at today is keep your motives pure. Keep your motives pure. Verses 5 and 6. Now this is what he says here. He says, we never came with flattering speech, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed. God is witness. And that's such a powerful statement there. In other words, the team had no underlying motives that they were trying to get anything out of the Thessalonians. They, they weren't trying to flatter them so that they could receive something back or an old, an old way of saying that. They weren't trying to butter them up so they would get something back from them. Their motives were pure. Now, Edmund Burke, who is an old Irish philosopher, statement, statesman from back in the 1700s, he, he wrote, he said, flattery corrupts both the receiver and the giver. It really does. It's really kind of like a trap, you know? Somebody is just caught up in wanting to flatter the person and the person receiving it just wants to hear that constantly. And it's really a false um, kind of, of approval, if you will. It, it, it's, it's not real. And, and, and oftentimes, people can see right through that anyway. So, so they weren't there trying to get anything out of them. Their motives were pure. They were there to give. They were there to give of themselves and they were there to give the gospel. Uh, and I think that's so important for us as we're in a time like this where we are, are facing difficulties and uh, it's, it's easy for us to want to think about how we can get, gain ourselves, somehow, somehow get an advantage. Uh, but that was not their, their motive at all. They didn't want an advantage for themselves. They wanted an advantage for God. They wanted Him to be glorified. And so they weren't looking for glory from people. They weren't seeking glory for themselves. He says in, in verse 6, nor did we seek glory from men, either from you or from others, even though as apostles we might have even asserted our authority. They didn't do that. They took kind of like the step down, if you will, and, and they came as an, in a humble approach. They didn't pull rank to be able to get what they wanted, to be able to share the message, to plant the church, to get things started there. They, they really allowed God to do the work, and God received the glory for that. So they understood that their motivation needed to be pure, that they did, there couldn't be any other kinds of things connected to that that, that, uh, that people could see through. It was pure, and the Thessalonians saw that. Uh, the glory belonged to God. Paul didn't want glory for himself. In a lot of ways, he was like John the Baptist when he said, I must decrease, but he must increase. That's how Paul operated in his, in his ministry. And for us, I think oftentimes, uh, we don't necessarily think I want, that I want glory, but oftentimes we want attention or we want to be thought of as somebody who's important, you know. Maybe, maybe we want to come into a, a situation even in our church and we want people to think more highly of ourselves than maybe we really are. Maybe we don't have the transparency there in, 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 in living out who we really are. In other words, that, that people look at us and they say, um, you know, this person is, what you see is not what you get. You know, the person is hiding something behind uh, his, his front. Uh, we often will do things so that people will, will look at us and, and want to, um, you know, want to see more out of us than, than maybe we really are. 
in our character. And Paul is saying here that, that that is really not a pure motive. That's not a pure way to live. Um, too often times I have found myself in my life, and maybe you've experienced this too. You know, when you want to put on a good front, we come to church, we look good, we, we know how to pray, we know how to, how to speak, we have good insights from the Bible, but then we go home and we argue with our spouse, or we yell at our kids, or we're in a, some kind of a conflict with our neighbor, or maybe, maybe we're just not the most upstanding in a lot of ways in our lives. And God desires to look down and to see, uh, he sees us anyway, but he desires that honesty and that openness because then he can work in our lives and make us genuinely pure, make us genuinely men and women of character. So it's a practice to keep our motives pure. We need to think about that. Uh, the, the, the temptation to draw attention, maybe that's through social media and how many likes somebody gets, you know, that feeds into their self-worth or maybe their ego or something like that. But God desires for us to be pure. And, and really, if we look here at the apostles, they said that they were not seeking glory from men. And earlier we read that they were not pleasing men. They were free from that. There was a freedom in their character from the need to have to please people. It's something that they had gotten, they had grown in their, in their walk with Christ. And I believe that we will, will be able to experience that peace and that genuineness with God when we no longer seek the approval of men. And I don't mean that we are gonna become obnoxious or that we're gonna, or that we're gonna be difficult uh, with others. That's not, or we're not gonna get along with people, but, but we're not seeking for the approval from men that really only belongs to God. That we desire to seek his approval because as he approves us, there's a genuineness there that comes out and, and that just shines and that has a power to it. It has an influence to it that works in others' lives. And we see that because this worked in the Thessalonians' lives. Their work there was not in vain. Because the Thessalonians knew, Paul repeats again and again, as you know, you know that we did this. They saw how Paul and the missionaries lived. They saw the example in their lives. And so this had a powerful impact. So keep your motives pure. Make that a practice of your life. As, as, as God has called you into the place that he has you and into the situation that we are in right now in these challenging times and beyond this as well. Well, finally, the fourth thing that we see here, the fourth practice that the, the team had in Thessalonica was that they kept a servant's attitude. So keep a servant's attitude. And we see this in verses seven through 12. They, they didn't push their weight around, even though they couldn't. Uh, in verse 6, he says, at the end of that, he says, even though as apostles of Christ, we might have asserted our authority. But they didn't go about it that way. They had the rank. They could have backed it up, but they didn't do that. And he gives us three particular examples of how that worked in their ministry there. The first one was that they cared for these young believers in Thessalonica just like a mother tenderly cares for her newborn baby. It is a powerful image. You can just 
Picture that in your mind of a mother holding a child, nursing a baby. The tenderness there, the gentleness that's there. We see the helplessness of the baby. The baby relies fully on the mother for nutrition, for protection, for care, for love, for nurturing. And, and as, as these young believers were growing in their faith, Paul and the team knew exactly what they needed at that moment. A baby needs the mother's milk. Uh, newborn believers need the milk of the word. And so it fits beautifully here together. Um, it's, it's, it's a nurturing that took place as Paul was helping them to grow and helping them move ahead. And he had a relatively short time to do this. Uh, there was a gentleness. They were sensitive to their needs. And as God gives us people to influence or people around us, we, we need to be sensitive to their needs. And there's a, a power in gentleness that is incredibly effective as it, as it helps young ones to grow into strong followers of Jesus Christ. They don't stay young and tender all the time. They grow. But those early years are so important as, as we are uh, discipling, as we are serving here in our church here and as people come and they grow and young people come and grow, that sensitivity to their need and that ability to meet their need is so important. So they had the tender care of a, of a nursing mother. They also had the manner of a servant, the way they conducted themselves. Verse 9 says, uh, it says, For you recall, brethren, our labor and hardship, how we work night and day not to be a burden to any of you, as we proclaim to you the gospel of God. Now, in those days, labor was considered the role of a servant. Um, but Paul, even though he's an apostle, even though he had seen the risen Christ, decided to take that position because he didn't want to be a burden to them. He didn't want to distract from what he was trying to teach them. And I think it's so powerful for us because as we serve in, in projects, helping somebody who needs help in their yard, helping somebody with, with something that they can't do themselves, taking the time to go on service projects or, or missions as we go out in, in, from short-term missions to longer missions and going out and serving and doing various ministries, helping with construction projects or other projects that your church has here, those are opportunities for us to show ourselves as servants. And so this was a posture that they took in the manner of being a servant. And it's so Christ-like. It's so like Jesus as he came and he was a servant and he gave himself. And so this was, was uh, part of Paul's practice in all the different places that he ministered. He had that attitude of a servant. And then finally, he had gave the example and encouragement of a father. And this really struck me. Fathers are very influential. Even if our culture today doesn't like to talk about that, they, they are. Uh, a father's words are very powerful, but a father's example is even more powerful. And, and we see here that the example that Paul and his team had matched his words. Just like a father who lives out the things that he teaches his children, it, it has lasting impact. I remember when I was a lot younger, my parents had a motorhome, and, and for a number of years, we used to go out with that, and we'd go camping, or we'd just take trips. Every time you come back, you gotta go, and you gotta clean it up, and we would go, and, and there was a place not too far from where we lived 
where they had a service area and you would dump the waste uh, fluids and water and all of that and uh, have some other things done. So one Saturday I went with my dad and we drove down there and he brought it in and they took care of all the, the things they needed to do and he had a couple other things to do. And I remember we were at the counter and we paid for those things and we left. Well, about halfway home, my dad remembered that they didn't charge him for the dump station that was there. And, uh, and so he told me, he said, oh, Mark, we need to go back because we, I didn't pay him for, the, for that service. And I said, well, how much was it? He said, well, it's a dollar. And I remember this, I said, dad, just a dollar? You're gonna go all the way back there for a dollar? And he just stopped and he looked at me and he said, absolutely, we're gonna go back. We are honest and we pay our debts and what we owe. And that has stuck with me my entire life. I've never forgotten that. And we did. He turned around, we went back, he paid the man a dollar for that. And I've never forgotten that. It, it continues to, 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 to speak to me in my mind about integrity. And that's really what Paul is emphasizing here that integrity undergirds the words that we say. Integrity gives credibility to the lives that we live. It has a lasting impact. And you know, in most eulogies that you hear, and in most memorial services, when people come up and talk about the person, you don't really hear about how much money they made or uh, how many cars they might've had or how nice a house they might've had. What you're gonna hear about is the relationship that they had with the person, and you're gonna hear about their character and their integrity, because those are the things that last. They last long beyond the words that we say. They last long beyond um, just the, the uh, simple kinds of, of ways we try to communicate with one another. The integrity lasts, and especially in difficult times, Integrity will stand out. Even though right at the moment it doesn't feel like it's going to and it doesn't maybe get me what I want right now, it will last. It will have a long-standing impact on people for many years after that. So as we are called to serve the Lord, as we are, are living in these difficult times, let's be men and women of integrity. Let's put these practices, uh, make them a part of our lives. And, and, then, and then trust that God will use that, even though we might not see it right away, but trust that God will use that for his kingdom. Let me pray.